We turn then this evening to the book of Obadiah. I'm going to give you a few moments to find it. The book of Obadiah. You may struggle to find it because Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. There is only one chapter and it is only 21 verses long. And so as we begin uh, this evening our summer series uh, on people in the Bible, we are up to the letter O, and so we begin with Obadiah. I was reading a little interesting side note in regards to this book, because I can hear pages still turning, so I know you're not there with me yet. And uh, the little interesting side note is, this is one of the best-loved Old Testament books by the Jewish people. Now, that, that, probably that strikes you as rather odd, because you're having trouble even finding the book. Probably many of you never even read the book, much less studied it as well. Maybe you didn't even know there was a book in the Bible by the name of Obadiah. So it's, it's just kind of interesting, their perspective, because they saw in this book such a great encouragement for them as the people of God. And I pray that that would be true of you and I tonight as well, that we will be encouraged through this word of the Lord. Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If, grapes, if grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Egypt and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever on that day that you stood aloft on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. 
Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his captives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shepelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sarah shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. As far the reading of God's word, let's bow in this evening hour. Father, as we have heard your word read, we pray, Father, that even as you breathe that word into a man called Obadiah, that, Father, as that word now comes to our hearing, to our ears, we pray, Father, that that Holy Spirit will take that word and even as we have sung, plant it deep in us, that from this passage too, Lord, we might know how we are to live Today, in this day, in this age, in this situation, in this environment, for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and God's people say, amen. Well, first of all, we're, we're told at the very beginning that this is a vision. A vision is a revelation that is given to someone. Uh, a vision does not necessarily mean in the form of a dream. Some visions are dreams, but not all visions are dreams. Some visions are simply revelations by their nature. A revelation that Obadiah received is the way we would read this in the original. This is not something that Obadiah went out and had on his own. This isn't something that Obadiah sought. This isn't something that Obadiah went looking for. Or he's into all sorts of different experimental things and trying to have some sort of revelation. Now this is what the Lord gave to Obadiah. The Lord God gave to a man by the name of Obadiah as far as we break it down, a 21-verse revelation that God saw fit to make sure gets included into the canon of the Old Testament, gets included 
in his word. He wants us to know this word of God. He wants us to know this truth. God gave to this man a vision, a revelation, in order that this word would be before you and I in this evening hour. I think it's a reminder to us, again, of that which Peter uh, wrote in 2 Peter 1.21, that, that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by, by the prophet's own doing, but they were moved, as Peter said, by the Holy Spirit. God wants us to hear this word this evening. So three things, or two things, excuse me, in regards to this passage. First of all, the information that we have about Obadiah, because that would be the question, who is this guy? Secondly, what exactly is the revelation? What does he receive? Now, the information about Obadiah is going to be pretty short and pretty sweet because we know very little. But what we do know is this. We know what his name means. We know that the name of Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh. Worshiper of the Lord. Worshiper not of any of the pagan gods, not of any of the false gods, but he is a worshiper of the one true covenant God, the great I am, Yahweh. He is a worshiper. He is a follower of Yahweh, his name. Secondly, his family. What do we know about his family? Here's where it gets short. Nothing. Nothing. We don't know where he's from. We don't know who his father is. We, we know nothing else about him other than the fact that his name is Obadiah. What do we know about his context? Very little. Very little. There are only a couple of little snippets included within the revelation that, that we might say, well, it would appear that this is at some time when Jerusalem had been invaded by other nations, but that Edom is still in power. So it kind of narrows it down historically. Because we kind of know when Edom fell from power, we kind of know when the fulfillment of this uh, on a certain level took place. So the best thing we can do is probably say this is approximately 800 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. So about 800 years before Christ lives a man by the name of Obadiah, a worshiper of Yahweh. As far as we know and can conclude, scripturally, there are no other references to this man. Although there are 11 other men named Obadiah in the Bible. It's a very popular name. People like to call their, their child Obadiah, the worshiper of Yahweh. And of course, as an Israelite, as a believer, as one part of that covenant people, why would you not call your child Obadiah? with that heartfelt desire that your child, too, would be one who would worship the Lord God. So there are others, but there is no indication that this particular Obadiah is any one of them. It's just kind of interesting, isn't it, the way the Lord works, right? 
Here's somebody from basically no major background who gets no other mention as far as we know in Scripture, yet the Lord gives to him a revelation. It's a reminder to us, is it not, that God's Word is not just for the wise. It's for all. That God doesn't show, as he tells us in the Word, any partiality. That God doesn't say, well, you know, unless you know enough people, I don't bother to come to you. Unless you have some sort of pedigree within your family, I don't come to you. Unless we can establish that you're somebody of some significance, I don't come to you. Maybe that's one of the reasons the Jewish people love this book. is because it's simply... To a believer, a worshiper of Yahweh, that the word of the Lord comes. Just as it comes to you. As it comes to me. We, we, we don't need certain special intermediaries to tell us uh, what the word means. God comes through his Holy Spirit to our own hearts, to our own lives. Secondly, then, let's look at this vision. What, what is the vision about? If you, were, if you were to summarize, I guess, what, what are the major players or what are the major parts of this particular vision, how would you break it down? Now, there's probably different ways you might have than I did, but as I was reading through it and studying it, it appears to me that the, the breakdown is in three parts. First of all, it is about Edom. <laughs> A lot of this book is about Edom. Secondly, it is also about Jacob, or we might use the term Israel. It, it is about God's people. So it's not only about Edom, it's about God's people, but it's also about the Lord. And the Lord's kingdom. So what does it tell us about Edom? Well, first of all, we have to kind of remember who these people are. Who are the Edomites anyway? They're the descendants of Esau. So Esau's descendants are called Edomites. And you just go back, oh, well, that means that Probably there has always been a little bit of friction between the two. Yes, that would be true. Between Jacob and Esau, just as there was friction there between those two men over the course of time, so was there between the two nations of Israel and of Edom. Do you notice that's probably why the passage picks up, not calling it Israel, but Jacob, to bring this to mind so we think about it, okay, that, so that we're aware of the background. But there's another step in that background as well. When God's covenant people were making their way from Egypt to the land of Canaan, uh, Edom was the one who said, no, you cannot go through our land. And the, the the people of Israel were kind of riled up, and God said, no, no, these, these are your relatives. 
go around. So there, there's, there's that little bit as well of the fact of they made life difficult. They made the journey harder than it needed to be because they would not allow their relatives to travel through their land on the way to the land of Canaan. A couple of other things. They're small as a nation, but powerful. They're small in comparison to kingdoms like Egypt and Assyria in terms of land, in terms of size geographically. But in terms of power, Edom was very strong. number of years ago, I, I don't know if, how many of you remember this or went to it, but a number of years ago, Kelvin, then college, now university, had a display. And the display was of Petra. How many, any of you remember that? Okay, must be I'm aging myself. Okay, again. Okay, but it it, it was it was incredible. It, it was eye opening because Petra was the capital of Edom, and they actually built their homes. They built their city into the sides of red sandstone cliffs. Look at verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. The way into Petra was a small, narrow passageway that was easily defendable. So what what the, the nation of Edom did is they became a nation of raiders. They would leave their capital of Petra, go out on raids, raid various countries or nations or cities, whatever, then hightail it back into Petra, a place you, you, it's one of those places you can't find if you had a map, right? It's hard to figure out where do you get into this place. And if you did get in, because of the sides of the rock, because of the narrowness of the passageway, the Edomites could easily defend against anyone who would seek to be there. So they became, even as the passage tells us, very arrogant, very boastful, very prideful. Nobody can touch us. Nobody can get to us. Nobody can overthrow us. We are in this place where there is safety amongst these rocks. We dwell up on high. If anybody comes, we can easily take care of them. This was the attitude and this is the history of Edom. But God says this nation is now come under judgment. That's the main bulk of this message, isn't it? The Lord comes to Obadiah, gives to him this revelation about Edom. Well, what about Edom? That it's under the judgment of God. Look with me at verse 4. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, the the sides of the the walls of, 
of this place of Petra were, were huge. Okay? That's what's being alluded to here. From there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. You, you are prideful, you are arrogant, you think you are impenetrable, you think there is no way at all that anybody could ever bring you down, I will. I will, declares the Lord. Look with me as well, later on at verse 8. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of my Mount Esau? I will destroy. God is coming. He is coming in judgment upon this prideful, arrogant nation that is self-confident, self-boasting of that which it has and that which it possesses. But you know, the book includes more than just a judgment on Edom, doesn't it? There, there is a, a, a larger pervasiveness. Go with me to verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. It's almost as if, as if the judgment that is to come on Edom is a microcosm of the judgment that is going to come upon all nations. That all the nations of the world, as you have done, it shall be done to you, and your deeds shall return on your own head. So not only Edom, but also all the nations of the world are going to come under the judgment of God. Before we move on, it's a good reminder to us, isn't that today? That's something I think we know. I, I, I believe we, we live with that knowledge. But it is good to know that, isn't it? And there is a sense of peace. There is a sense of calm that comes knowing that the judgment is the Lord's. Right? When, when we listen to the nations of the world today, okay, listen to the chatter that's going on out there in the world. Think of the finger-pointing that is going on. Think of the blaming that is going on. Is it not good to know that in the final analysis, when it all comes down to it, it's not up to me to judge, it's not up to you to judge, it's not up to one nation to judge, the Lord is going to judge. The Lord will be the one. We read of that which nations do against our fellow believers. The Lord is the one who is coming to judge. We read of the injustice that takes place in nation after nation after nation. It is the Lord who is going to judge. It is the Lord who says, I am coming and I will judge. Perhaps you feel a little bit like that today as well. I mean, you feel a little bit of like exacting your pound of flesh. My friend, listen to the word of the Lord. It is mine to revenge, 
I will repay, says the Lord. This is not up to you. It is not up to me. We are not the ones who are in charge of being the judge of all the earth. This is the Lord. He sees, he observes, he knows. There is not a detail that has happened that he has not come under his watchful eye. He will judge all nations. He will judge because of their actions and because of their failure to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Let's get back into Obadiah. Why was Edom coming under this judgment? Why, why was Edom the focus here? Why was God saying, I'm, I'm taking you down, Edom? Well, we learn that from the word. Start with me at verse 10. Because it, look at what they did to God's people. Because of the violence you have done to your brother Jacob. Notice how, how God is bringing back, right, that, that whole Old Testament story. Remember? Remember Esau breathing out curses on Jacob? Remember Esau saying he's going to kill Jacob? Right? Here's God coming to Edom hundreds and hundreds of years later and saying, you're going to come under my judgment because of the way that you have treated my people, because of the violence by which you treated my covenant people. Remember Obadiah's name? See, don't lose track of these things. Obadiah, the worshiper of who? Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? The covenant God. Israel is God's covenant people. And Edom has done violence to God's covenant people. How? What violence did Edom do? Verse 11. Their violence is the violence of gloating. On that day you stood aloft. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. See, what happened is some other nation, not the Edomites, not the Edomites, some other nation came to God's people, put them in a time of calamity, put them in a time of distress, put them in a time of hardship, invaded the city, took away their possessions. And you know what Edom did? They smirked. Yeah. Good. They're finally getting what they deserve. It's not theirs anyway. Should be ours. Remember that tricky old Jacob? He took it away from our descendant Esau. Remember that deceiving guy? Took away from our descendant Esau. Yeah, they stood back and they gloated. To gloat means to take pleasure in the downfall of another. 
God does not like gloating. It is not a God characteristic. It is not a Christ-like characteristic. It is not a Spirit-produced. It's not one of the fruit of the Spirit to take pleasure in the downfall of others. God doesn't actually even take pleasure in the downfall of the wicked. How dare we then? But you think how often we do it, right? Right? Maybe few have uttered a few things about the authorities in our life. And we might have the tendency if something of misfortune were to happen to one of them. Oh, yes. The smile, the smirk across our face. Now, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And we don't gloat over the downfall of the wicked. That's what Edom did. And because they gloated, that's the violence. See, God equates the two. You might have thought they did violence. What did they do? Come in and, you know, kill? Did they kill children? You know, some of God's word is pretty graphic in the kind of destruction, for example, that the Assyrians were going to bring or that Babylon was going to bring. And so we might be thinking, is it going to be like that? Are they going to be beating and whipping people? What, what are they going to be doing? No, the violence is the violence of gloating. Now, we're not supposed to gloat, but neither is the wicked. Neither are the wicked to be gloating over the times of hardship and difficulty that God's people are in. God will bring that to judgment. It is violence against the people of God. And believe me, my friends, there are. There are. Even in this day and age, even in our circumstances, there are the wicked who are gloating over our circumstances, over our situation. They're gloating. God says, don't do that violence to my people. These are my people. These are my covenant people. I have redeemed them with the blood of my own son. Do not gloat over the time, over the day, over the circumstances of their present misfortune. Some of you probably are, can think of people. Maybe you've even had those exchanges. You know, you've tried to be a Christian businessman. Maybe you've talked to them once or twice about uh, their, their business ethics. And, you know, they've kind of put you off and, you know, kind of, you know, you're holy roller type, you know. Uh, yeah, well, how are things going? I don't know if my business is going to su survive. And a little smirk comes over their face. Yeah, look what their Christianity did for them. <laughs> yeah. Where's their God now? Oh, then we read that in the psalm of our call to worship. Where is their God now? Do not be downcast, O my soul. 
Hope in God. Why? Because God is the one who comes in judgment over the gloaters, over his people. And he doesn't need my help and he doesn't need your help. He will do the job himself. But they did something else too. Look at verse 13. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. And do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. They aided and abetted is what they did. They aided and abetted. They, no, they didn't enter into the major battle. They didn't enter into the major skirmish. But they're working along the side. And man, you know, now that the conquering army has gone through and Israel can't, as it were, defend themselves, ah, we'll help ourselves to some of the goodies. We'll help ourselves. We'll loot. We'll make ourselves rich off from them. We'll make ourselves wealthy off that which God has given, off that which God has provided, I am coming in judgment on the people of Edom because of the way they have treated my people. And you see now where this verse fits in? Now, now look at where we're at. Now God says, for the day of the Lord is near for all the nations as you have done. It shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own house. See, now, now we understand. What it was, what did, why is God judging them? Because of the way they treated his covenant people. And that is also what God is going to do to all the nations. Christ comes. He comes again. To make war, figuratively, in the book of Revelation. For what purpose? To make war upon our enemies, his enemies. He comes to rescue us. He comes as the one who fulfills Obadiah 15. On that day of the Lord, as we've been looking at and studying in First and Second Thessalonians. On that day, that day of the Lord. They shall face the judgment of Christ. The one who rides. The majesty of Christ that we looked at this morning. The vision, the revelation of Obadiah is about Edom. It is about Jacob or about Israel. And it is about the Lord. This revelation concludes with verses 19, 20, and 21. What is being said? God is saying through Obadiah, there is coming a day, there is coming a day when the kingdom is going to grow. When the kingdom of my covenant people is no longer going to be small, but it shall be large. Go with me to the book of Daniel. Go with me to the book of Daniel.
Go down to verse 44. This is Daniel having interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar of that image, and then the stone comes and destroys the image. At the end of that, go to verse 44, Daniel chapter 2. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. What is going to happen? The kingdom of Jesus Christ shall come. You know when that kingdom comes? All authority has been given unto me. Now go. Go into all the world. Go to these nations. That kingdom of Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit takes hold of a heart, of a mind, of a life, and the old kingdoms are broken to pieces, the kingdoms of gold and silver and bronze and iron, when that kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ breaks down an individual's stubbornness and brings them into a relationship of reconciliation with the Father. Those kingdoms are destroyed, and the church moves onward, 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 always, always onward, never, never stopping, never failing, never backwards. The kingdom of Jesus Christ goes and goes and goes. That's the picture, 19 and 20. It grows, it builds. It goes beyond the extension of the land that was given. Never fails. The book of Daniel is filled with all of those pictures. You know where Daniel is? <laughs> He's in captivity in Babylon. Not really the spot you'd be thinking, we're going to grow and we're going to build and the kingdom of Jesus Christ is moving forward. No, that's exactly when God gives the vision. That's exactly when it comes. Because he knows that's exactly what God's people need. They need the vision of Obadiah. That the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know it's the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Because of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 33. It's the birth of Jesus being foretold. Comes to Mary. Right? Go down to verse 32. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What Obadiah is receiving in this revelation 
comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The coming of a kingdom that shall know no end. So we get a glimpse. We turn to Revelation chapter 7 and we get a glimpse, right? We get a glimpse into that heavenly abode and we see multitudes and multitudes of people from every tribe, every language. Where God crushed communism, where God crushed Nazism, where God crushed every ism there is. And there, there in glory are His people, the ones for whom Christ shed His blood. It's a growing kingdom. But look at verse 21. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. We are His people. We are His sheep. We are His elect. We are His loved ones. We are His body. We are part. No, we are. Not part. We are the Lord's kingdom. And just as much, my friends, as those people who receive Obadiah's revelation in that date, whenever it was before Jesus Christ came, looked at this, gravitated to it, held on to it, and said, yes! Yes! We are the Lord's people. And He loves us. And He cares for us. And He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And justice shall be done. So, my friend, you and I can look to this encouraging revelation of Obadiah. And we too can lay claim in and through the Savior who went up to Mount Zion, who gave his life, who shed his blood so that we might be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Revelation 19.6. Hallelujah. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the blessing that this word is to us as we come to it upon this day, in this circumstance, in this situation. Father, may we as the church of Jesus Christ be always looking forward, looking forward. Looking forward to the glorious return of Christ. Looking forward to that expanding kingdom. For Lord, you never lose one of those that are yours. None of us ever lost. 
The kingdom only grows and grows and grows. And until that coming of Jesus Christ, Lord, may we go forward, may we go forward, that bold confidence, that assurance that we go in the authority of Jesus Christ, that we are his people. He shall come. He shall come. And he will judge the living and the dead. And that judgment will be just. That judgment will be righteous. That judgment will be holy. Father, we pray. We pray that our lives might be lived in ways that bring you glory. That fit, Father, that which you desire for us to be. Take away from us, Father, revenge and vengeance. Setting the record straight ourselves. Father, take that away. Make us the people of the word. Make us like Christ. In his name, all God's people say, Amen.